This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. For many years, bicycle advocates here in Colorado have been pushing for a simple, common-sense tweak to the rules of the road. It's called the Idaho Stop, because that's who legalized it first. But the advocates here call it the Safety Stop, because all the data from Idaho and every other state that's tried it shows that it's safer. A lot safer. But those bicycle advocates never could get the Idaho Stop passed here in Colorado until this year, when someone came along with a fresh perspective. His name is Marcus Robinson, He's been biking in Denver his whole life, and he's my guest today. Today is Wednesday, April 13th, 2022. I'm Paul Caroli, in for Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. The way that we get the best sound on those phone recordings, and it'll, I promise, make you sound really good, it'll feel a little awkward. Um, is if you hold it up to your ear like you're on a phone call. Like this? Perfect. Oh, so you want me... Just like that. You want me to hold it like this? <laughs> I know, it's weird, okay. but yes. <laughs> Marcus Robinson, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you for having me. So Marcus, we, we chatted last week a little bit, so I know that you've been riding your bike in Denver for almost your whole life. Um which to me is incredible. You know, I moved here in 2015. I've been riding my bike here for seven years. I am so curious what it was like back before the bike lane push, the whole multimodal utopia thing. What did biking in Denver used to be like? Biking in Denver was a, a paperboy bike with using your dad's playing cards and a clothespin clip to the back end to make it sound like you've got a muffler. <laughs> um, there was a time when, you know, everybody's doors were open. So all the kids went from house to house all the time after school. And mm-hmm. we just rode, didn't know where we were going. We would just ride. What neighborhood are we talking about? Park Hill. Yeah. Park Hill. Yes. Park Hill. What, what was biking to you? What did it mean to you? Biking was freedom for me. It was... It was an escape, you know, it was the, the chance to experience something or go places that I'd never gone before. Hmm. It was uh, riding with no hands when you had a chance, <laughs> but it was all fun. We didn't have any fancy clothes, you know. Marcus, I totally hear you on that freedom piece. That is such a big part of biking for me, too. Um, but biking in Denver these days means contending with cars and lots of traffic. And that brings me to this new piece of legislation that you've been working on. Um, it's at the Capitol right now. I think the House and the Senate have both passed it. It sounds to me like Governor Polis is is going to sign it. Um, and it's going to change that relationship between bikers and cars in a pretty big way. 
Uh, it's called the Safety Stop or the Idaho Stop. It's got different names, and I know you've been advocating for it. You testified in favor of it. Can you explain for listeners who might not be familiar, what is the Idaho Stop? Um, it was named, obviously, for in Idaho, mm-hmm. but it was passed basically to allow uh, the multimodal type of transportation, meaning bikes and, and cars can actually operate within the same space. And the way the law is written here in Colorado that we we're looking at without the specifics is that cyclists will no longer be ticketed um, by police authorities for running a stop sign. Um, we will not be ticketed for those types of, of, of minor infractions. And so what that means is that if you're a cyclist in your neighborhood, say in Park Hill, and you're coming through a stop sign, you can treat that stop sign as a yield, right? You can look every direction, see that the area is safe. And then once it's safe, you can move on forward and proceed through the intersection. When you come to a, a traffic light, you will treat that as a stop. You will then look towards, you know, whichever direction. Also treat that in a safe mode, meaning you're going to look all ways. And if you see that the intersection is clear, then you can proceed through the intersection. The great thing about that is, is that it takes cyclists out of that right lane, which is that turning lane, which is the scariest part for all of us. Mm -hmm. Those pinch points that cause accidents where cyclists are all the way over on on the right waiting for a light to turn. People are trying to right turn on red or whatever, and they're cutting you off or making gestures at us or so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So what this does is allows us to treat that intersection as a stop, look, make sure that you're okay in all directions, and proceed. And then it's going to really truly decriminalize those types of infractions by uh, law enforcement. You know, those are, are dangerous interactions. It also, for the, the people of color in our, in our communities, the BIPOC communities in particular, to have a kid who's riding his bike home from the grocery store with his parents' permission and he runs a stop sign trying to get home with a bag of groceries and a police officer would stop him. And instead of educating or something of that nature, you end up getting, uh, well, what's your name? What's your address? And then run the child or, or whomever through the system and find out whether or not there's anything in their record. That's inexcusable. That's not needed. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a waste of law enforcement dollars, you know, so... This way, we remove all of those barriers. We make everyone safe that rides a bicycle and, and just be able to get through an intersection without that random hit. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. And uh, and I should say, um, 
you know, there's data on this. This is something that state level bicycle advocacy groups for many, many years have been pushing for here in Colorado. And they will always tell you that every state that has legalized the Idaho stop has seen huge, huge uh, reductions in accidents at intersections, which are the problem spots. So it really, it really does work. But what I was excited to talk to you about was that second thing that you were sort of going into already, that decriminalization piece. Um, now that seems like that's a new element of the conversation, as far as I can tell here in Colorado. Tell me, tell me where that, where that came from. How, how did you come to testify in favor of this? Um, it's personal experience. It's personal experience from riding and racing my bike here in Colorado. And it is, for me, it is what has happened to me, right? But on the other hand, I have lots of other friends, you know, in the bikepile community that have had those same types of interactions. These are things that are never recorded. It's not talked about, but we're harassed, truly. And as I look back towards things that occurred to me when I was learning how to ride a bike and exploring new neighborhoods, we were harassed by cops. We've been accused of stealing bicycles before. We've had our parents have to call and tell, you know, the local you know, substation that, you know, you've got our kids and no, they didn't steal that bike, you know, things of that nature. And for me, given the opportunity to to speak to this at both the state and the Senate, it gives another image of what this law can actually do. And we just don't want to be, and I'm talking about the black, indigenous people of color community, we just don't need to be hassled if we're running a stop sign. If we do, Okay, there's, if you do, you know, you broke the law. Okay, fine. You know, educate, right? Let's not just automatically think that that person is bad. So for me to testify, it was a pleasure, it was an honor for me to show another side of this bill that no one seemed to talk about. And yeah. the fact that we're in a space now where we're talking about it, Governor Poles is about to sign it, our community can breathe, right? Parents can breathe thinking that their kids are going to be okay now, that they're not going to be hassled, that provided they follow the, the safety stop law, you know, everything should be fine. You say the parents can breathe now. I, I can't help but think about the, the slogan from the racial justice protests of 2020, I can't breathe. And the connection between your advocacy work and the organization that you run, Ride for Racial Justice. I wonder if you could help me connect those dots a little bit more between the, the organization's founding and this, and this particular, uh, what I used to think is transit reform, but now I think about as racial justice reform. You know, um, when George was murdered, um, I've been riding my bike my whole life. The country was in a turmoil. I have not seen that since I was a child, watching the riots and demonstrations um, from the 60s. And where I ride, in particular where we live, I have access to country roads within about five minutes. And it's nothing but two-lane highway, farms and ranches, for as far as the eye can see. But my country was changing. Um, George was murdered. People had had enough. 
we, we couldn't breathe. We felt that we all had a knee on our neck. And my wife, Sandra, said, I don't want you riding your bike. And I said, I want to ride my bike. And she said, you can't ride your bike. I don't want you to ride your bike. And I started thinking about that. And I said, I can't ride my bike because of how I could be somewhere out in the middle of riding a bike for 50, 60 miles by myself. And somebody that doesn't like me just comes up behind and hits me, puts me in a ditch. And I never come home. America was different. There was a lot of hate in the world at that time. Are we done with it? No, we're not. We're a long way from it. And so I posted something on social media and my dear friend and co-founder, uh, Neil Henderson, he calls me and he says, he says, you okay? I said, no. And he said, we got to do something about that. I said, okay, well, let's do a ride. And I know you all did, did do that ride. You organized one in five points. Um, and then I heard about one in Boulder and one in Fort Collins and, I don't know, it sounded like they were a really big deal. Uh, it sounded like you really touched a nerve with this with this idea. Um, why do you think that is? Why is this such a powerful idea? You know, biking, riding for racial justice. You know, I'm just thinking so many other avenues since 2020 have closed, you know? No one felt afraid to talk because we're on a bike, right? And we're just talking about the weather and kids and and schools and how it is, you know, just regular stuff, right? But we're doing it in a way that's never been done, at least within, you know, my, the way I look at it, right? Is that you're just not going to walk up to a person that doesn't look like you and start talking about race relations in America. That's just not going to happen, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're going to cut you out or, you know, walk away and, and stuff like that. Neither side is going to win in that argument. But in this particular case, people are talking. And we just learned so much about each other, right? And there was this one lady, she pulls up next to me. And just to show you, we're not going fast, right? We're just kind of cruising. Mm. And she says, I'm one of those women. I said, what do you mean? She says, I'm, I'm white and I'm privileged. And this, these types of things don't occur in my neighborhood. And whoa, okay, from a bike, right? And we talked all the way around for seven miles. We just chatted. Wow. You know, and she said, she said, why aren't we doing this? I said, well, here we are. Okay, so we're the first one. Let's just keep building on this. <sighs> that story about that, that woman on the bike and that conversation you had, I mean, I think that just proves, again, something that you and I have always known. There's something special about sitting on a bike. There just is. It's just different. Um, and I want to thank you for sharing that story. That really meant a lot. Um, and, you know, I can't imagine what it, what it must have felt like to have felt like uh, 
biking was being taken away. You know, I, I, I really, I don't know what I would have done. Well, Marcus, thank you again so much for your time and for the conversation. You know, um, you're a skilled interviewer and you took me to a place today that I try not to relive, but I think it's important uh, for people to understand what our community is going through and where America is right now. But I appreciate um, you asking that question I'm glad to talk about it, and I thank you for doing that. Well, it's, it's really my pleasure. I think it's going to mean a lot to people. Um, Marcus, thanks again for joining me on CityCast Denver. And here's what else Denverites are talking about today. It's about 142 years too late, but the city of Denver is finally going to apologize for the anti-Chinese riot that occurred on October 31st, 1880 as well as all the racial violence and discrimination that our AAPI community has faced ever since. Kudos to CityCast Denver guests William Way and Gil Asakawa, who've been working with the group that made this happen. And here's something to watch out for. On Monday, city officials in Philadelphia announced that they are bringing back their indoor mask mandate in response to an increase in COVID cases in their city. When I saw that, I took a look at the COVID data for Colorado for the first time in a while, and it looks like our numbers are slowly on the rise as well. Rates are still far, far below where we were in January, but still, something to keep an eye on. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute and tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter. You can do that and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Oh, I totally hear you on that freedom piece, Markets. <clears throat> Markets. Uh.